Hello, everybody. Um, today's message is about wokeness. <laughs> Are you woke? So much of our culture has become enamored with this word, woke. It's the one syllable that encapsulates the far-left society. The uh, use of the word is simple enough to understand that you were asleep once, the man, so to speak, held the wool over your eyes, and that now you're awakened to reality. Um, the problem with that is what reality you've woke up to. Uh, if your reality is a lie still, you're still really in a dream. And all of us have experienced this where you've had such a deep dream that you wake up from that you're kind of convinced that you're still in it and you're awake. And then you come to your senses and, you know, it's not reality. If, <clears throat> if what you've awakened to is not reality, then, you, I mean, of course you could say you're woke. But what are you really woke to? If you're awakened to a lie, you're still asleep. And uh, the scripture uses this term, uh, uh, being awake, uh, uses it quite a bit actually. And in our passage, it links it to light, uh, being awake to the light or the daytime. And all three terms of what I, I'm going to want you to keep your eye on today is the day, as in the day of the Lord, and that we are children of the day, and the light. Now, when it comes to being woke uh, in the Bible, it means that you are one who sees the light and sees the day, and that you actually are, what you are seeing is reality. It's not something fake. You know, if the Lord's not returning, then as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, we're the, most, we're the biggest fools to be most pitied because we have given our whole lives over to this and our whole hope over to this, and it's all smoke and mirrors and it's not reality. If that's true, then yeah, we're not awake. But if it is true, and it is, and you know the others are not, then as they're described as being asleep. And so when it comes to being woke in the Scripture it does actually mean something very important. So let's look in our Bibles to, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for our time together and the ability to hear and understand God's Word through His Spirit and to be humble and reverent, reverent before Him. And so with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the absolute reality of the return of your Son. As the angels said to your disciples, or his disciples who were watching him ascend, the angels said that he'll return in the same way that he left, in the clouds of the air. And as we see in our passage, Father, that he will be sent by you to gather his church, to gather his bride in the clouds of the air, and if we happen to be alive when that happens, that we will be caught up with them in the air and all together be with the Lord forever. What an amazing truth. It is something that all of us can look forward to. And in fact, we thank you, Father, that you have not told us the day or the hour so that every day we expect it. 
And that keeps us alive. It keeps us alert. It keeps us watchful. And you are so brilliant, our Lord, our God, that you have done these things in a way that makes us have the right attitude. And that all we learn from your word. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for our Lord. We ask, Father, that through this uh, passage today that each of us would be further enlightened as to uh, the meaning of life and how we should live every day to the fullest. Uh, We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the reason for this, in this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which really encapsulates the meaning of the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, in uh, well, I should really say letter. I, a four, a, sorry, a five-chapter letter is really what it is. But we call them books of the Bible. Uh, anyway, um, we it, this encouragement. Paul is encouraging them to stick with it. Uh, what they have done so far in their really uh, dedicated faith, uh, and they have faith, hope, and love, as he has said. And they're brand new believers. They have, despite the suffering that they've gone through, they really come through in a, in a faithful manner. And by, by this, we understand is what Paul is trying to make sure that they understand, is that we have to, be, we have to know who we are, and we have to be convinced of who we are. And what I mean by that is in Christ. When we became born-again believers, we didn't change. Our, you know, As it says, our spots didn't change, as the phrase goes. Outwardly, we didn't change, but inwardly, we changed completely. And we have to uh, understand what we have been made to be. And then, you know, and it's a, it's a process of awakening. Because when we become born-again and saved, we don't really know all too much. We know we're saved, we know we have eternal life, we know we're with Christ, but you know, how much do we really know about Christ? How much do we really know about what God has made us to be? Do you know, what about all those commandments in the Bible? Am I am I stuck having to do them all now? Like and and what do they mean and what are they for? And there's so much that we don't know. And as we come to know, we come alert we become, uh, in the same way the Bible always does this, and especially in the New Testament, um, like, for instance, sanctification or righteousness. There's, with words like that, there's a position that we possess that we can't lose, like we're righteous forever. But we're also told to live righteously. We call that either experiential or practical. Uh, and the same happens here. You know, we're all, son, son, as he's gonna, Paul's going to tell us, that you know, the inner self must wake up to its new birth. Not so it gains the new birth, but because it has it. And having this new birth, we need to know what it is. You know, what have we been born into? This means that the truth about life is understood and lived uh, energetically. And that it's not, that Christianity isn't a sideshow or it isn't like some extra thing. That it's actually life itself. And more than I even know, you know, who is the one who is truly alive? It's God. It's not anything here on earth. This is all created, including us. 
It's, it's God is the one who is true life. He has no beginning and no end. And so when we say, you know, God's like, and most of the world does this, and even Christians, we find ourselves trapped in this. That God is, you know, he's out there and doing his thing, and, you know, we'll sing a few hymns to you, and you know, maybe shoot up a few prayers, make you feel big, you know, make you feel important, I guess. But then, you know, our real lives, Lord, are down here on earth, where it's really happening. And that's what we think. And, you know, and what is happening down here? Well, there's a lot that's happening down here. But is any of it, how much of what's happening down here on earth is actually of an eternal nature, which would make it truly L-I-F-E life? Now, I saw that, I saw a part of that discussion. It was a great interview that Tucker Carlson did with uh, Elon Musk. And it was, it was neat to see Musk's, it's hard to say his name with a, uh, a possessive. Uh, you know, it's hard. It, it, it was neat to see you know his brain get picked about things. He's a super smart guy, and he, and to me, uh, one of the terms that came to me thinking about it is that he, he's almost like a George Washington of our time. I, I wouldn't put him on the level of President Washington, but uh, something of a similar nature in that he's. He's got a bit of a savior uh, thing attached to him, you know. But it, not saving, I, from what I heard, he's not even a believer. Uh, but, you know, and, and you, you hear about this, and one of the things that's become now, it, it's become very popular is this AI thing, where we know what it is, it's not a thing, but it is a thing. And uh, uh, Tucker Carlson was asking him how, you know, how can such a thing rule mankind when it doesn't have a soul. And it doesn't. And unfortunately, Elon Musk was like, well, I don't, he said he doesn't even know if he has a soul, which tells me immediately that he's not a believer. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's still a machine. It's ones and zeros. And so, okay, say Terminator happens and now we're fighting the machines. You know, I don't know. But, you know, is any of that actual life? And it's not because it's of the earth. What's going to happen to everything here? Second Peter chapter 3. Everything burned. Everything destroyed. We are woke to that. All right, I'm going to stop using woke because it's, it's just ter- to use terrible. It's just so used so terribly in our in our media, but... We are awake to that, and we're awake to the fact that the Lord could come before this hour is up, and that that He is going to come like a thief in the night, in the night, and nobody expects it. It's going to be unexpected to everybody, including believers. But for the unbeliever, it's going to be a time of incredible fear, and he, they're going to be terrified. They're going to be shocked, and then they're going to be terrified. Whereas for all believers, we're going to be shocked and then we're going to be elated immediately because we're going to know what's happening. Can you imagine that running through your mind in that split second, which is all it takes for the mind to grab hold of a thought, is that you will understand that you're involved in the rapture right now. Incredible. So we have to be convinced 
And here's the thing, and Paul knows this, we can easily be lulled to sleep by this world. And, you know, there's many things that can do it. It can be the pleasures of the world. It could be the worries of the world. Those aren't the same camps of people, right? The people who are ultra-worried about what's going to happen are generally not the people who are into pleasure-seeking lives. You know, maybe there are, but, you know, the way we're dealing, if we're pleasure-seekers, we're dealing with the worries of the world in a different way. We're going to go seek pleasure. You know, and generally that's some kind of chemical, drugs, alcohol, sex, uh, whatever. You know, some kind of entertainment. And we're going to distract ourselves from... But then there's others who hyper-focus on the things that are wrong and they worry about them. Both are wrong. Um, and, and we can get easily lulled to sleep spiritually. And Paul knows this and that's why he writes this. If you knew the Lord was coming back or let's say you knew the very it's a very real possibility not a slight one but a very real possibility that the lord's coming back today and you don't fall into that very easily and that's being awake in the inner self to the new birth this means that the truth about life is understood and lived energetically hence the lord would say don't worry about tomorrow right we put it with this truth he could say, don't worry about tomorrow. I may come back today. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be concerned about it. But we can too easily go to sleep in a world that doesn't know Christ or care about him. The world just doesn't. You know, when you see all of this stuff in the media, and you ask, and, and if you ever, I'm never hardly, because it's more entertainment than anything, which, you know, we're learning. I was telling you guys about this video class I'm taking. The, the whole, even for Christianity, the means of evangelism has become the Internet. More so than going like door to door, meeting people on the street, passing out tracts. It's sending out media, Christian media. There's tons of it out there. And the I, it's already occurred that Christian media are competing with one another to get the most amount of likes, the most amount of clicks, the most amount of views. And, you know, and that's a great thing. It's a very good thing. But th those, that, those views of Christianity are swimming around in an Internet that is bombarded with everything else. You know, in this course, they're trying to teach us how to navigate that so that the, and, and it's, it's a real thing because, <clears throat> you know, say you're a person whose life is falling apart, and what's, what's the first thing you're going to do if you're looking for some kind of answer is you're going to get on your laptop or your phone and you're going to start searching for things. And wouldn't it be neat in that instead of finding Oprah, or The View, or something, that you find a, a website, a Christian website, or a message about the gospel, and that's the thing that comes up. That would be terrific, you know, if we could do that. But, you know, in a world that doesn't care about him, it's very hard to do that. So, we have for us, sleep, or wake, drunk, or sober. 
And these are the terms I want to keep your you want to keep your eyes on today is sleep or wake, which is uh, being awake is the same as being alert in these passages. Being uh, so the Paul couples together being alert and awake with being sober and being asleep with drunkenness. And certainly, therefore, you know the drunkenness that he speaks of. Literal drunkenness would make you unalert. Where I think we're all aware of that, but <clears throat> this has a much broader uh, meaning to it. Because sleep is not a sin, but he's speaking of sleep in terms of a person who's going through life who doesn't know any truth nor cares about it, and they're going from one event to the next event to the next distraction to the next occupation to the next event to the next thing. Then they go to sleep. Then they wake up, and then they do it again. And for 40, 50 years go by, and basically they have sleepwalked, slept walk, I don't know how to say that in the past tense, you know, through their lives. And what have they done? How excited are you for every day? The answer to that question is a good indicator of uh, how awake and alert and sober, and I mean, we mean sober now spiritually which would include chemically, but it means sober spiritually, that my spiritual head is screwed on right, and that I know what's reality, and I'm living that reality. This would mean to be alert, and just today, only today matters. Tomorrow, the Lord said, don't worry about it. What matters is today. It is marvelous that God has given us. Like the title to yesterday's message was, this is your last day because the Lord can return. It, we have to live every day like it's our last day. We have to remind ourselves of that. Hence, uh, as I recommend all the time, is that before you get out of bed, pray. Even if it's just for a few minutes. Pray and remind yourself, what is this life about? Who are you about? Who are you and what is life about? Because to be awake today means that you have your eye on the prize, that you have your eyes on your calling, which is the reality. Look, either God is the who he says he is or he's not. There's nothing in between. And if he is, God himself is life itself. All that's going on down here is very temporary, and God has allowed it to happen. And in essence, everything that has happened in human history is for the sole purpose of saving souls. I mean, what else? And, you know, we can say that confidently because when you get to the end of human history, what is left? You know, at the end, what's there? This we see clearly. There's some eschatology that we don't see too clearly, but this we see. It's shown to us that there's a kingdom full of men, full of men and women who are born again and saved. There's a new Jerusalem, new heaven and new earth. None of this, this is all gone and so out of this world, the only thing that survives it are the people who believe in Christ. That's it. Nothing else survives. And no one else survives. And that, talk about a truth that's sobering. So what we're going to see today is that Paul separates the believer and the unbeliever into day and night. Unbelievers are of the night. They're going to be shocked and terrified when Christ returns. And because it's imminent, it could happen at any time. 
believers are of the day, and so to them the day of the Lord is joyous. All right? So this is something I, every time I have ever read or read about the day of the Lord, it's mentioned a lot in the scriptures, mostly in the Old Testament. That the day of the Lord is, and it's depicted like this, it's a terrible day. It's a day of judgment. It's judgment day. Speaking of AI, that's right. That's the whole theme of the Terminator movies is judgment day. That, right? So this day comes. It's not so much nuclear bombs would, do, would be nothing compared to this. This is the Lord returns, and in our eschatology, since we're pre-trib rapturists, that even at the rapture, even though that there's a tribulation to come, that tribulation is the worst time that the earth has ever seen. That's clearly depicted in the scripture. And, um, you know, that's when, and at the end of that seven years, that's it. It's the millennial reign of Christ. And even in that time, at the end of that, there's a huge rebellion against him. And all are judged. Uh when he returns at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes and his judgment is with him. And it's harsh. So, judgment day, or the day of the Lord, has always been, to me, a kind of a dark thing. And it never dawned on me that he didn't call it the night of the Lord. Yeah, if he did, we wouldn't bat an eye at it. We'd say, well, yeah, it's a time of judgment. Here comes God with the darkness. You know, it's like it's like the, the righteous Darth Vader coming to, to exact judgment. But uh, no, he doesn't call it the night of the Lord. He calls it the day of the Lord. And as we see in our passage, day is us. We're sons and daughters of the day, not of the night. So we long for it. We're made for it. So our context is 1 Thessalonians, as we know. Paul began the church there and then soon after had to leave because of severe persecution. When he left the Thessalonians behind, he knew that they were being persecuted and he had great angst and concern for them. After a number of months, he sent Timothy back to them to encourage them, to teach them, but also to find out how they were faring. When Timothy returned to Paul, uh, Paul was elated to find out that the Thessalonians were doing terrifically spiritually. Uh, And then, so Paul then decides to write them this letter, and it's a letter of encouragement to maintain their faith, hope, and love that they have. And also, and he says it twice, that they are to increase in it. So we we don't sit still. If we have love, great. We need more. If we have faith, great. We need more and and so on. And then in this section, Paul uses the day of the Lord who will burst upon the scene when no one knows. uh, And he uses that as further encouragement. And it most certainly is. And to us, if we understand that the Lord can return at any time, this really makes a difference in how we... uh, You know, it, it makes a... It makes it harder to go to sleep spiritually. So look at 1 Thessalonians 5.1. We'll read the, uh, not the whole passage. We'll go up to about verse 8 or 9 today. Now, as to the times and the seasons, epics is a Greek word that means seasons. As to the times and to the seasons, brethren, 
you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come. You see, it says will come there, which would assume that the verb's in the future tense. The translators would state that because it certainly is in the future, but the verb is not future, it's present. Uh, the verb's erkamai, which means to come, and the verb is in the present. So what this, what he's writing is, the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. And I, it's a slight change, but it's actually what the Greek literally says. Paul does not use a future uh, tense there. Just like a thief in the night. When they are saying peace and safety, what does that mean? The whole world says, oh, everything's just going to keep going on like it is. Even We see it here in America, that, you know, uh, we, even with all the um, people who are promising that we're going to get into some recession or depression or things are going to, you know, people say well, oh, things are always going to just continue to roll on in this prosperity that we're in. There will always be. And people have always been like that. So they say here, peace and safety. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. And they will not escape. Now, that's dark, right? It's like they're going to get judged. It's destruction. You can see that they're going to be terrified by it. But in the woman with child... You know, just like Christ, Christ used the same uh, reference uh, metaphor in teaching his disciples that they're going to go through pain for a little while, but like when, like birth pangs. But he said to them, when you know the mom has the baby, she doesn't sit around mulling about the birth pangs. She doesn't sit there thinking how painful it was. She's just overjoyed at her child, and uh, that's what you know. So there's a reference here to that too. That will be, we, you know, are going to be a part. We are born again. And the day of the Lord is when, you know, we reach our culmination of what we've been designed for. We enter into, even though we're, you know, for those who have died, at the rapture of the church, the, the living will rise be raptured or raised up with Christ and we're all together as the royal family for the first time ever. And that is what we're made for. So that day is like the day we're always looking for. Because we're of the day. And yet we live in a world where the day is in us, right? We're sons of light, daughters of light. It's in us. We have this light. We are the light of the world, Christ said. But we're in a very dark place. So it's almost like, you know, like Christmas Eve or something. We're longing for the morning. And that's another title for the Lord. The morning star. The morning star rises. And when He returns, you know, that's when we enter into what we've really been made for. So, of course, this is going to be and it, it's not just used by Paul to say, all right, you better you know, behave yourself because the Lord's coming back any time. But it is the natural outflow or the natural response to the one that you love returning any time. He says in verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief, it's going to definitely overtake us, but it's not a thief 
It's going to be our husband. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. And so there we have it. The contrast between light and darkness, night and day, sobriety and drunkenness. So these uh, are contrasted. And note, it's, he doesn't just call us sons of, sons of light or sons of day. He calls us both. Sons of light and sons of day, and that is contrasted with night and darkness. And that is my effort to put a dark side on the on the earth. I, I couldn't find a good picture for it, so I, I scribbled in the darkness myself. It looks like a bad haircut uh, on the earth. Anyway, uh, so why both? And, you know, think, if you have night and darkness, night is a time... And darkness is a situation, right? Night is, you know, from wherever, sundown to sunrise. But darkness is, you know, it, it varies throughout the night. So darkness is, is the condition of night. And same with day. You know, day is where the light is. But the light gets brighter as the day goes, you know, up to its brightest part at like noontime and then fades again. And so, you know, light refers more to our condition, how we're behaving, how we're thinking, whereas day refers to who we are. And, and that's, it seems that Paul is using it that way. And, uh, and, and it fits, of course, with the rest of Scripture. And that since you are of the day, how should you behave? And that's what he's going to get at. And not just that, but when the Lord returns, all throughout Revelation of Scripture... It's been called the day. Uh, it's been called the day of the Lord. Sometimes it's called the great day. And sometimes it's just called the day. But because of the context of the passage, the writer only has to say the day. And, you know, if we're in the know, we know exactly what he's writing about. Why is it day? For the same reason as in the beginning of the Bible. Like right after creation, what does God do? After he creates... He says, let there be light. And the light was separated from the darkness. And so right away, off the bat, there's this contrast that God has made between light and darkness. And we all fell. You know, the human race fell and we're born into darkness. And the life of Christ came into the world and lighted up every man. Now, this phrase, as we get a little somewhat technical, and this is not, not remotely as much as we can get. I'm avoiding the technicality of, of all of this eschatology, which means the study of the last times, uh, until a future date. It might be like Sunday, that will, probably Sunday, that we'll, we'll do a little more technicality on the difference between rapture and second coming and all of that. But, you know, Paul, in this letter, Paul's not going into that at all. He could, but he, he doesn't. It would be easy for him to write it. But he's, he's here encouraging. And what is he saying to us? He's not saying to us kind of discern times. He even says to them, you already know the times and the seasons, so I'm not going to write about it. Um, it's real unfortunate that 
he doesn't. It makes you wonder how much arguing about eschatology would have happened if, if Paul in that moment said, you know, the Thessalonians might not remember what I told them about times and epochs, so I better write it down. But he doesn't. Who knows? Who knows what he would have written? But the day of the Lord will begin with the rapture of the church and then run all the way to the end of time, which is the final judgment. Now, not everybody would agree with me on that definition. There's a number of books on my bookshelf right behind me who would disagree with me on that. And, you know, as maybe when I, maybe five years from now, I'll disagree with that. I don't know. But, you know, right now it's not an issue with me. It's the broadest definition that there is. And uh, there's some, you know, great theologians who define it this way. And the reason why I like it being so broad as a definition, it kind of covers everything. But the thing that I want to bring out, even if it's just like as some think the day of the Lord is just the tribulational period, that's a seven-year period. It's not a day. It's not a 24-hour period. It is a length of time. And in that length of time, the Lord has come. It's the rapture of the church. When the tribulation happens, the Lord is dealing with the earth, particularly with Israel. And we see this in Revelation. What is he's opening seals? These seal, these, this scroll has been sealed since the beginning of time. Now it's being opened. There are bowls of judgment being poured out on the earth. Those bowls of judgment have been waiting for that for that time, and now it comes. Then there's and then there's trumpets, and uh, and they're all judgment. So you say, well, it's a dark time. It is. And tribulation is the worst time the earth has ever been through or will ever be through. But there are people who get, plenty of people who get saved during the tribulation. And I guarantee you, they're overjoyed at the tribulation. So, sons of day means, you know, that it, it hasn't, we're of the day, but the day of the Lord hasn't come yet. So we're of the day, but the day, the very day that we belong to, which is our Lord in his kingdom, it hasn't come yet. Uh, for us, it'll be our death or the rapture. And even for us who have died, the kingdom isn't really instituted or begun to be instituted until he returns. And so, uh, you know, all the dead in Christ who are up in heaven right now, what are they doing? I haven't a clue. I'm sure it's super fun. But uh, they're waiting. Part of what they're doing is waiting. And uh, I'm sure they're not antsy. You know, it's got to be it's got to be super fun. I'm sure time is flying if there's time at all. But, you know, they're waiting, though, as the Lord is. The Lord said, I don't even know when I'm coming back. So he's waiting. They're waiting. For that time. So we don't belong to night or darkness, and therefore, Paul says, let us not sleep. This has to do with um, sleeping here. Now, in the context, has to do with not being alert to the coming of the Lord. Peter is going to show us that it's the same exact words are used for us being alert to the devil. And so, uh, this. Sober and alert, 
both words, they're the exact same words that are used by both Paul and Peter. Sober and alert are in reference to the coming Lord at any moment. And sober and alert are in reference to the devil who prowls about at every moment. To avoid the schemes of the devil, we've got to be sober and alert spiritually. To be ready for the coming Lord, we have to be sober and alert spiritually. Uh, so you can hold your place here. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And if you, you, know, you can use that little, I always loved how Pastor Bob used to call it the Holy Ribbon. You can use it in your Bible to put it there if you want to switch, because we'll switch back and forth a bit. Matthew 24, 43. Paul is only, he's reiterating what the Lord had already taught in multiple places. And again, I want you to see here even that the Lord does not emphasize timing as much as he emphasizes our attitude. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the night, time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. It's the same exact language that Paul is using. And notice, it's not, you know, time here is stated as, you know, I don't know. If he had known, he would have been ready for the thief. Jesus is emphasizing the fact that we're not going to know. And what is it emphasizing? The fact that we're watching and that we're alert. Now, if the thief broke into your house every single night, well, you should move. Means you live in Chicago or Baltimore <laughs> or Portland. I, I just read today that REI I used to there's a REI store and uh, we used to walk around up there, Chris and I, and when we went there in uh, uh, the Pearl District in in Portland, and REI just closed its doors forever in downtown Portland. Amazing. I mean, if the place Portland's made for REI, like they go together, uh, but not anymore. So if you live in Portland, move. That you know, the thief can break in at any time. What, so what about us? Well, the Lord can come at any time. It's you know, the thief is the Lord, and we're to have this same attitude, the same watchfulness, as if you lived in a bad neighborhood and the criminals were walking up and down your street every day. Except it's a that would be a bad expectation. This is a very good expectation. Go to Mark 13. Mark 13.33. Mark 13.33. Take heed. Keep on the alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. I love how he, you know, he could just say, you know, I'm coming back at any time. But he wants us to think it through. Midnight. You know, maybe these apply to various times in our lives. Midnight, when I'm, you know, I'm kind of worn out and sleepy. Are you awake? Spiritually. 
uh, morning, you know, when at the, the, the energetic part of the day. We can get distracted with what we have to do. Are you alert? Are you awake spiritually? The evening, same thing. You know, evening is a more restful time if your work is done. Are you still alert? And it's true that for us, especially in the West with our busy lives, we have a, you know, a, an early morning life. Uh, if we're still working, you know, a, a go-to-work life, then a work life, and then a come-home life, which is different than the morning life at home. Coming home at the end of the day, it's a different mindset. <laughs> and then there's, you know, life at home with the wife and kids or the husband and kids. And, and then the later evening. And they're all a little bit different. It's been true in, in the minds of people that I only have to be alert like during the day. And then at night, I don't so much have to be. Is it true? You know, because when it comes to the spiritual life, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble at night. Late at night, when no one's watching. You know, and someone said, I can't where did I hear this, but uh, I might have read it, that uh, how we behave when we're completely alone is who we really are. You know, no one's watching. You know, we're, we're absolutely ourselves. That's a sobering thought. Uh, so therefore, be on the alert, he says, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows are in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. And how wonderfully, deliciously ironic that the disciples would hear this. And then Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he would say to... He'd, you know, he took with him the, his three inner guys, Peter, John, and James, and he took them with him, and he said, I'm going to go pray. And he said, look, stay alert, be watchful, and pray. And when Jesus came back, what did he find them doing? Very alert and praying? No, they were fast asleep. And he said, Don't let me find you asleep, he said. And there they are. Uh, so, what we have here now, let's see, since we're here. Well, you, if you held your place, we'll go back and forth just one more time, I think. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. So he says in verse 6, So then let us not sleep as the others do, but let us be alert. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Now, certainly sleeping at night is not a sin. So why is it coupled with drunkenness? Because the issue that is being addressed is whether we're of the day or of the night. The very literal example that he's using of those who are asleep and drunk are, though, are a reference to the fact that uh, we're not alert, thinking, you know, if you're drunk, you're not. If you're asleep, you're not. That you're not alert and thinking and ready and watchful. And as we see, with, and we'll continue to see this because it's the very next section, which is the last section of the letter, is how we conduct ourselves. 
And Paul's going to rifle off commands at us. Uh, and these commands are all about us and our conduct. So what did Jesus say about the good steward? He's found doing, like he's alert because he doesn't know when the master's coming back. But when the master does come back, he finds the good steward doing what the master had told him to do. The bad steward is the one that says, ah, the master isn't coming back. And he kind of kicks his feet up and drinks all the master's booze and kicks around the other slaves and doesn't, you know, has parties at the master's house and stuff and wrecks the place. Um, And then the master shows up. Just like a kid in high school invited almost the entire high school to his parents' house for a big party because his parents were gone all weekend and they came home Friday night. Uh, It was a disaster. Anyway, (laughs) has nothing to do with this. Kind of. So then he says, let us be alert and sober in verse 6. And you know the verse, so we'll stick right here, uh, which is in 1 Peter 5.8, be of sober spirit and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Same combination, same exact words. The verb for alert, the verb for sober, and they're used by Peter in 1 Peter 5.8. Being alert and sober to the coming Lord is the same alertness and soberness that saves you from the devil who is not just someday going to tempt you, but every day is going to tempt you. And the same alertness and soberness gets you ready for the coming Lord and also delivers you from the prowling uh, jerk, the the devil. So an alert mind spiritually is one who from the day's waking moments to its end, when its end is fast approaching and you're drifting off to sleep during that whole time that you have been filled with God's thoughts, Um, you know, I'm not saying every single moment, but you know what I mean, that you're alert to in every person you've dealt with, you've dealt with in love and in kindness and forgiveness. If you had to reprove someone, you did it with gentleness. Uh, You prayed, you you walked with the Lord that day, you heard his word, uh, and it was a day in which you did the Lord's will. You did the Lord's works. You treated others with honor and and love and kindness you lived like did the lord take a day off from being spiritual that's what i mean and that's what's being alert every day is alert every day i say well that's exhausting it's not actually what's the alternative is the earth the earth and the flesh and what are the, do they give energy they can, uh, and, and it's in spurts. It's not, not genuine. It's not lasting. It's not real. And the things that are not divine, not from God, not from the Word and from the Spirit, the, the energy they give us, they always exact a price. You've got to pay for it. That's like we all know with like drunkenness. There's... It, Alcohol can give you a great amount of energy. So can all the many of the drugs that are out there that people are into. Um, 
and I've seen I've I've been doing some work with some people on addiction lately, and and uh, one of the, it's a huge thing is pornography addiction in the world and amongst Christianity as well, and you know it gives you energy for a little while, but then it it always acts exacts a price, and the Lord doesn't exact a price. The Lord always gives; He doesn't take. Always gives. And so that's what being alert spiritually is. We think that it, people are confused into thinking that it is you know, a boring life and it's a, a, a run-down life and it's a terrible life and it's when it in fact is the only life. And make, of course it would make sense that the God of this world would advertise the spiritual life as, uh, as terrible. And that's what a lot of people believe. The life of night and darkness is described as asleep and drunk spiritually. And mentally, uh, that causes people to live for themselves. The darkness in this world are a bunch of people living for self-gratification and living for self. This has gone on for thousands of years. And how has it worked out for mankind? Moving away from giving and investing in others... Um, you know, one of the my uh, professor who's uh, trying to teach us how to make online videos. We just published one last night. That's on our website. It's our first crack at this. <laughs> it's uh, the first one that we're willing to actually put out there. That when I say we, it's Chris. Chris is kind of like my editor. She's not kind of like my editor. She is my editor. Uh, and. Uh, you know, it's it takes it's funny how much effort it takes to make a good production. But anyway, um, this one he did an on-location shoot where he was at a junkyard, and piled behind him were like ten cars high, all these rusted-out hulks of cars. And he said, "Now look, at one time, these were brand new off the lot, and they were someone's pride and joy." You know, this is my new car. It had the new car smell. It was dynamite, right? You couldn't wait to get it. And now what is it? It's rusting in a heap. And everything in the world is like that. It's not that we can't enjoy the world's things. It's just that they're all going to decay, including these bodies, as we know. And to therefore, to live for the world and to live selfishly, we weren't designed for that. This is why this... The ramification of night and darkness, which goes with sin and evil and selfishness, always comes up in the Bible. God is hammering us with the same message. That this darkness, it makes the soul of man sick. The sickness in a person's soul is the bitterness that lingers, the depression that lingers, the anger, the lack of esteem, the misery, the lack of joy, the isolation. And we long to be with others. But there's a lot of lonely people in this world. And the Beatles sing about that, all the lonely people. Uh, there's a lot. There's more than there have ever been. 
what people do when they're in the darkness is they crawl into themselves. They further isolate. They self-mediate their inner pain with drugs and alcohol or anything else that they can find. They become savage consumers and they give nothing. And what happens to society? Well, what have our divorce rates been? How about single-parent homes? How's that been? How's education going? How's violence going? Increasing or decreasing? What people do when they, 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 well, you know what they do. I don't have to go into it. That's the difference between darkness and light. And so, we as the light of the world, look at verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 5, 7. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober. And so we'll see tomorrow how you know the Lord's going to roll into this very use of the word sober and drunk in terms of the alertness and watchfulness of the sons of day, the daughters of day, who are expecting the Lord's return. They're prepared, not unprepared. And so, as he says here, we who are of the day must be sober. And the Lord's going to say this very thing. And uh, as uh, Paul writes in Romans 13:12, he writes, The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So that armor of light, now Paul is going to use. So let's see where we've gotten here. There's light, people of of the day, is people of the night. The people of the night are the unbeliever. The people of the day are the regenerate believer. The regenerate believer is of the day and of the light. So when the Lord comes, they're actually entering into that day with joy. The unbeliever is going to be terrified. Since that's true and we're of the day, Paul says, now let us walk in the light because the light is the only life that there is. Everything else is of the earth and of the flesh. Let's say of the world, but it is of the earth because the earth is cursed. And uh, and now and so we of course have that choice, but the choice should almost become, you know, as we progress and as we learn. I would say, you know, the awakening within us takes time, but um, to understand who we are and what we're called to be would drive us towards the light and want to be of that light. And then as we are, to those who are around us who are in darkness, we become witnesses to them. And that that's what gets us to the armor. When you're wearing this breastplate, as Paul says, it's visible to others. When you're wearing this helmet, it's visible to others. It's not a literal breastplate and helmet, of course, but what they represent is what is manifested to others. Do you have hope? Do you have love? Do you have faith? These things manifest themselves to others. And you become an amazing witness. They, people will say, there's a light in you. And you can tell them that you are the light because Jesus made you the light. And so that's the contrast here between light and day. Light and, sorry, not light and day. 
<laughs> day and night and light and darkness. And these are all in reference to the coming of our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you for this uh, paragraph that we've been looking at concerning what you are and who you are in terms of the day, the light, and uh, being alert and watchful for you in your return. To know, Father, that the things of sin and evil, the earth, the world, the flesh, are not of you. You have allowed them, and they tempt us, and sometimes we fall into them. We thank you, Father, that we are forgiven by your grace through Christ our Lord, and that being made sons and daughters of light, that we are, we long for that day, for your for the return of our Lord, and to actually live a life that is in the light. We ask, Father, for your enlightenment. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen.